This is the Lundahl Performance Podcast Extra. One of the things I really think characterizes our vision of what we're trying to create and kind of what we're experimenting with right now in our journey and in our own business. And one of the insights we bring to the table that I think is kind of unique, probably not really groundbreaking. I'm sure there's others that feel the way that we do, or at least have that intuition. Um, But we're really trying to bring to the table this idea that you kind of, in your horsemanship career, in your development as a horseman, I really feel like, I don't know if you agree, Luke, that you go through two different stages. The first stage is what we call kind of the clinician mentality, where you start out as a, as a novice, and you need to follow some sort of a system, a program with structure, um, and the, at least the way that we came up, a program with a lot of focus on softening the horse's body parts, a lot of lateral flexion, a lot of exercises, getting control of the horse's feet, understanding basic horse psychology, you know, getting thinking about softness in terms of when I pick up on the reins, I don't really feel the horse at all. He should intuitively know that I'm going to bring his nose around to my toe, and I, I really shouldn't have to make contact or, or maintain contact with him. You know, I, I want to get to a point where... I almost don't feel the horse at all. And so the horse just kind of gets, he gets broke by being programmed that way, if that makes sense. It's not probably the best term I could use. and I don't mean that disparagingly, but that's how the horse gets broke is he just accepts that. Whereas I'd say in the, from the show horse angle that we've also been exposed to, there's a mindset of, You know, I don't want the horse to hide from pressure like that. I don't want to pick up and feel nothing but air because the horse is anticipating how I'm going to pick up on him. I don't want to apply my leg and have him jump away with a lot of hustle. I want to have a little bit more finesse, a little bit more subtlety there. And so you see those guys willing to sacrifice a lot of the lateral softness and a lot of the bendiness and and just softness through the body in order to put things into a more complete package you know rather than being really obsessed with the horse not ever with not even not ever having to touch their mouth they'll allow some contact there to be maintained they they want the horse to accept their that pressure but not create slack in the reins um a balance there between softness but also he's just leaning on you just a tad just so that he you know he's he's comfortable with being there and you maintaining that pressure yeah well that's that's a difficult balance to find <clears throat> um you know like the the closest i can relate to what the more show horse type feel they're looking for is almost a semi gummy feeling mm-hmm. um where when you the more you pull the more the more the horse gives but they don't offer any more than you ask. Right. And the moment you quit asking, they quit giving. And the moment you start releasing, they take up that. And like the moment you start giving back to them, they readily take it back. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, you know, type, it's almost like you, you have a pulley on a string, like with a rock on the end of it. You know, the more you pull on the string, the rock raises up. Then when you let go of the string, the rock just naturally goes down up and down like that that's kind of the same mindset and it has 
I think we've both experienced this with taking a horse out of the train, 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 train mentality to, okay, now I have like apply a job and go do something. Sometimes the train, train, train mentality gets in the way and you have to, if you always go for that hyper, hyper responsive feel, you end up with a horse then when you put it to task, you're like, okay, run through the middle, change leads, let's go the other way. They're running through the middle and they're thinking soft, 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 soft. I need to stay bent to the left. I don't want him, you know, I don't want him to, to touch my face. I'm getting off it. I'm getting off it. I'm getting off it. And you're like, go right, go right, go right. And he's like, I- I'm softening. I'm softening. And it's like, no, I quit softening. <laughs> go to the right. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it gets in your way and it'll become a hindrance in a way when you overdo that. And there is, um, for good reason, it is harped on because a lot of people we run into do nowhere near enough. But there's also very little said about, okay, you know, there is such thing as too much of a good thing. Right. If you're looking to apply that horse to something else, like a horse that's just hypersensitive left and right, that horse, you almost create a horse that can only be ridden two-handed because you have to, like, physically hold him where he needs to be all the time because he'll end up what we'd call searching always searching for where you're asking him to supple and soften. And so he'll get really wiggly and, and you won't and disappear underneath of your hands and you'll never be able to like find him and guide him where you need to go because he's always gone because he never wants you to pick up on the reins. Now, that being said, that's more just a symptom of a horse that's like super broke and super responsive. Like you've proven to him a bajillion times that when you pull the horse needs to give and they've just got that mentality now like i'm giving all the time you don't even have to come to the pole now you know the more performance horse side of it they like to phrase it with well he's hiding from your hands he's hiding from you mm-hmm. and that at least in my opinion i don't know what you think of it. i think that's more just a clever wording to um to kind of persuade towards their point it's almost like you listen to a political debate they'll word things in a particular way to make their opponents seem like they're a worse person like the 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 treat training they'll they'll label that as you know reward-based training Uh and then the pressure and everything else is negative yeah, yeah the pressure and release training approach and retreat is labeled as negative, you know, or corporal punishment or something like they'll give it (laughs) a term that technically means the same thing. You know, like technically, if you really stretch it, Mm -hmm. but they're more going out of their way to try and make a point, you know, to kind of, you know, denounce it in a, in a over exaggerated way that is unnecessary. Like hiding is not really the term. I believe it's more hyper responsive and then again, the hyper responsive isn't, that's not like, that's a good thing. If you're looking to move out of, you know, um, out of the training phase and actually go apply your horse for a purpose. And I learned this the hard way. I learned right away how, when you obsess on getting it feather light, not only does that bite you in the ass later on, when you try to put a horse one handed and steer it around, you end up with a horse, you're trying to pull and pull and pull and all and the horse ends up doing is keep, they keep softening the wrong way until the fence comes and you run into the fence, you know? <laughs> so you find out very quickly how not only a, did you create a problem for yourself? 
Because now you've got a horse that's so hyper-responsive, he won't let you handle him in a controlled manner. And that's what it comes down to. That softness is nice, but it's not, don't disguise it for brokenness. Right. Because now the horse no longer will allow you to handle them. Right. And then also, not only is it more of a hindrance um, as far as putting him, giving him like a practical purpose, like showing him one-handed... But then you as well, the longer you obsess with that, you now take away from all this time that you could have been addressing like a maneuver. Like I noticed that in myself, the more picky I am about the softness and the get off my hands, left, right, left, right. Well, you know, a year goes by and I'm like, okay, this thing is like feather light. Like everywhere you go, I, this thing's like a noodle. I can tie it up in a billion knots and there's no resistance but he can't do anything else, you know, and right. that's, and he can only do exercises. He can't do tasks or jobs. All he can do is exercises. Well, if you're looking to advance this horse out of the training, that's not a good thing. We got to do more than exercises. We have to now start preparing for maneuvers and give him a job and go do a particular discipline. We can't just sit here and drill and exercises all day. Yeah. No, and that 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 f sort of signaled a major shift in my mentality. When you think about it, you use the term uh, searching, and that's that's kind of a behavior pattern that if you take sort of the training phase too far, it's a mental pattern that you create in the horse, which to be honest is like the opposite of what you want. Like the the horse they're trained enough to have these sort of pre-programmed responses like a horse that flexes so well that as soon as you begin to slide two fingers down the rein, it immediately snaps its nose around your toe. Well, great, you know, you've really trained with that, you know, or or when you bend, bend the horse around your leg, you don't even have to touch its face because it just places its head right there because it knows that you're going to bump on his nose if he goes to take it away. So you've got the horse always searching and being overly anticipatory of everything that you're going to be doing. Well, what are we actually seeing in that fundamentally? It's the horse actually making choices, kind of taking the liberty with things, having his own ideas in play instead of being sort of completely open and just honest to you. Like he's, it's like an annoying person at a meeting who's constantly interjecting with their own ideas. And you're just like, dude, calm down. I'm the guy in charge here quit butting in. And that's kind of like, I, I, I really saw somebody explained that to me and I really saw the wisdom in that, to be honest, they use the term honesty in a horse. And that's honestly what we're after. Like we, we focus a lot in the training phase on horses that are what I would say ignorant. Like they have no acknowledgement of the person that's on their back. They're not paying attention. They're stiff. They're belligerent. They're, they're grabbing the bit and running off. They're doing all these other things they're not well trained. But what we never talk about is the other side of the scale where you've got a horse that's so well trained in all these different exercises that they're actually kind of pre-programmed. And again, horses are, they just anticipate patterns by nature. You know, they pick up on things, they pick up on habits. And so all it takes is enough time and repetition to where they're like, okay, if I just kind of preemptively respond in the way I think the person wants me to, um, I won't ever have to have this person touch my mouth. 
they'll never touch my sides with the spur. I'll just, I'll just offer up my own opinions on what to do here. And a lot of people get by with that and that's great. Um, but if you ever want to go take that and do anything, you know, if you want to go do a reining pattern, if you want to ride this horse one handed, if you want to go down the fence, it's not practical because at the end of the day, that mental habit you've created for yourself of the horse really not acknowledging everything you're doing, but throwing his own ideas up there into play. When you start putting your hand down and saying, all right, buddy, I need you to go here now. He's going to be what, what, what? He's going to be just totally confused and lost out there. There's an analogy that I want to just break down briefly as kind of a, an allegory to what we're talking about. And maybe some people out there who are way more financially versed than me. I mean, I just listen to podcasts about money and dream about having more and what I would do if I had more. But uh, it's always good to be more financially educated. But it was interesting listening to this guy that was talking about real estate and investing and all this stuff. And um, he was actually commenting and in kind of his philosophy, he sees two sort of modes of thought in terms of investing. One is the very conservative, you know, saver mentality of save your money, never get into debt, never take on any risk, you know, very sort of slow accumulation of assets, being very conservative, never taking a lot of risk, you know, that that strategy works for people who don't have a lot of money uh, or who have low incomes or, you know, they don't really have any experience with making their money work for them with investing it, so to speak. And so they're not just going to go out there and invest in every stock and ETF under the sun and buy a bunch of houses and do all this other crazy stuff and, and invest in startup companies. Like they're they're They need to be a lot more conservative and just learn about the fundamentals of money management. That's like stage one in this guy's philosophy. But then there's stage two where you have to make a transition somewhere along the line. If you have enough resources and you want to start doing more things with your money and actually creating passive income and, and really making your money work for you, you have to learn how to use debt to your advantage. Like debt goes from being this evil boogeyman that you want to avoid to then you, you get the intuition and the discernment to learn about the difference between good and bad debt, how to use debt to leverage and, and do different things. And you can be more creative, take bigger risks um, and just make your money work more for you and just do a lot more. And that's kind of the analogy that I took away from that and applied it to what we're talking about, which is, you know, we talk a lot in the trainer mindset of you want to avoid any sort of stiffness whatsoever. Like it's really about digging down deep and just ironing out, sanding out these little rough areas of resistance and stiffness in a horse. But Somewhere along the line, you have to transition into a mindset of, you know, I actually need a little bit of stiffness, just a little bit of the horse's willingness to kind of hang on my hands just a tad and just kind of wait for me a little bit instead of overly anticipating and looking for where he thinks I'm going to place him, if that makes sense. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going completely off the rails here or if that made sense. But that's kind of what I took away from it is just that you have to transition from a focus on get off of pressure, create slack, feather lightness, zero resistance to 
you know, I, I can actually use a little bit of stiffness and the horse not overly anticipating and not being worried and being confident about me kind of maintaining a little contact there, dull in a way, um, I can actually use that to my advantage to go do better things, you know, get, exactly. get this horse riding one-handed, have him drape his neck out real pretty instead of looking to kind of snap off of my hands and, and ha- you know, have me never touch his face. Yeah, and I think, you know, the biggest thing... Um, to do i think to force yourself out of that mindset because it's difficult to try and make an adjustment like that and step out into territory that you're not familiar with and you know things are going to go downhill and then you lose your confidence blah 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 but is to take your horse that you're riding now and go out there and try and ride it one-handed and see what happens and try and do every every exercise that you would normally do but do it all one-handed and you'll quickly realize that from your lead departures to your, say, loping your circles to if you're, you know, out in the trail and you're just loping tree to tree and you're, you're jogging circles around the trees. Like you're quickly going to find how kind of hung out to dry you are one handed. And that should be, it was for me at least, a big wake up call that from the early stages, when, even when I'm riding a horse two handed, I need to have in my mind the end goal that I'm wanting to move away from always having to micromanage and haul him around two-handed and always be holding onto him and, and telling him exactly where to go all the time and get him to where he takes responsibility and I can just steer him around, lay in the rain an inch across his neck either way. And you do that, you you know, you think, at least in my experience, you think you, you know, uh, king of the hill loping around two-handed. Well, you get exposed real quick when you go and try it one-handed. So, you know, I would just say use that, like give that a try and see where you're at and then realize that that feeling of kind of that lack of control that hung out to dry, first of all, that's normal, but that should not only encourage you to go back and have the mindset of, okay, this thing eventually needs to be one-handed as you're riding your horse two-handed, and it should also encourage you and like, okay, yeah, we were kind of out of control, but I want that one-handed feel. So let's hurry up and work towards that. <laughs> 